Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi. Now, let's clarify, as I do every episode, I'm not actually a rabbi. But if I was, I wouldn't be that kind of rabbi. Which I've realized is starting to offend some of my rabbi friends. Because they're saying, what What do you mean? What kind of rabbi am I then? And I have to jump in and go, no, no, I, you're, you're good. You're, you're a nice rabbi. <laughs> you're a good rabbi. Um, but... I think what I'm really trying to say is I would not end up as a congregational rabbi uh, fulfilling all the wonderful obligations, but not ones that I really would cherish as a clergy member. So for me, being a spiritual director, which is what I actually am, uh, and being companion to people on spiritual journeys is something that I very much enjoy. So uh, I'm not that kind of rabbi, but I am always interested in the spiritual aspects of my life and those around me. My guest for today is someone, I'll tell you the brief history of our knowing. Uh, The brief history of our knowing is years ago, there was, and I think it's still online as a publication, something called Frank Magazine, which attempted to be the kind of punch, as it were. Uh, May I interrupt? Yes. Not punch. It was trying to be private eye. Ah, true. But um, it was... And it had to be funny and you know, yes. penetrating. and Penetrating, that's the yeah. word I would have looked for. <laughs> it, it penetrated me often uh, in my public life. And there was this back page that was written by an anonymous person, and it was quite biting, and often quite biting about me for a small period of time. And then one day I opened it up uh, in a masochistic moment uh, to see what was being said about me. Uh, and there was someone who had said, look, I can't do this anymore. I can't be anonymous. I have to take ownership of what I'm saying. My name is Michael Corrin. And I thought, now that I admire because anonymous is easy. Being yourself and saying things that, you know, could be hurtful or could be penetrating uh, was definitely uh, a different story altogether. So I invited him onto my TV show at the time, one that he truly loathed at that moment. And um, we had a wonderful time. And after that, our friendship grew, and I would appear on his program when he was on the Christian Television Network here in Canada, and uh, we, I would be a panelist and talk about things, and Michael is uh, much more than someone who has an opinion. He's somebody who has an educated opinion, which is rare in this world, and it was always a pleasure to talk to him about a, a plethora of subjects and topics, including one of my favorites in his, the Middle East. So... As time has progressed, Michael has become someone who changed his mind several times for the better, in my opinion, but who am I to judge? Uh, And now is actually a clergy member himself in the Anglican Church. So, of course, I want to talk to him, and I welcome him. Thank you. Um, I'm not sure about several times. Uh, There was only really one major change in my life, as far as I know, when I was raised in a secular, completely secular family and became a Christian in around 84. Um, so that was a change and it was a progress, I suppose. Uh, but the other change was about six years ago. Uh, I, I've always been a Christian, never left the Christian faith between 84 and, and now. I hope I never do, assume I won't. Uh, but about six years ago, I did have this very profound change of faith within the church. Mm. Um, I could no longer be a conservative Catholic um, why not? Well, long story, and it's not to criticize the Roman Catholic Church. It was me. Uh, I had a, con- a conservative position within that church. There are liberal Catholics, many of whom wrote to me 
and said, please don't leave. We need you to fight within. Mm -hmm. But I just, I wasn't as brave or as strong as they were. I couldn't do it. I had to leave. Uh, but all sorts of reasons. I mean, it, it was a product. People think it was in spite of my faith. It was because of my faith. My faith grew deeper. There were various issues that made me rethink my views within Christendom. I think the first of them was around sexuality and equal marriage. Uh, I had always defended the definition of marriage as between one man and one woman. I was actually not that conservative on the issue. I believed in civil union, uh, full inheritance for gay couples, uh, protection under the law, housing, employment, and so on. But, and I, I've said this before, it's not that I had the most extreme position. It's that, with all due modesty, I gave a certain intellectual veneer to that argument. And a lot of the people who argue against equal marriage, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but they're often quite raw, quite callow in what they say. And uh, I, I wasn't. I, I, I gave a certain learning to it. And I, I think it, because I would have lots of leaders of the gay community on my TV show and treat them with great respect and affection, it, it, I did more harm. I did a great deal of harm, I think. And I've spent, and I, I still do it now, but I've tried it every way I can to, um, to show genuine contrition. You, you, you can't just say, I'm sorry. It's like a politician. Well, I'm sorry. Well, that's very nice. Now you have to do lots of things. First of all, uh, you have to show that contrition is genuine. You have to try and repair and compensate. You really have to do penance as well. I know that sounds rather pious, but, uh, you know, I, I, which I certainly did. Uh, I find it quite amusing when, when people think it was for base motives. I mean, it, it was very painful uh, at a purely commercial level, which doesn't matter very much, but my career just I, uh, evaporated. Lost the TV show. Lost well, that was already, that had already gone. Right. At uh, 100 Huntley Street, I was a guest host there. They fired me. Uh, uh, but I left the Catholic Church. What so was that meeting like? Oh, they, they did it by email. They emailed you? You know, I have to say that, I've, no, I've not actually said this before, but I'll be quite explicit. I, I've worked for a lot of people over the years, mm. and you have good relationships and bad. Like at Sun News, I was there for three years. Couldn't have been a better employer. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think that the station, I don't think their approach was appropriate. Uh, I think we could have made it successful if it was different. Uh, I now look at the politics of it, and I... And, and, and it, but I was part of it, you know. I, mm. I, um, I think it was it was disappointing, but they were wonderful employers. Uh, the Christian, <laughs> with with many exceptions, but the Christians, Christian institutions I've worked for in media, have generally been very poor employers. Mm. And um, I've, I don't want to be too specific, but I've been treated badly on a number of occasions, and very rarely. Uh, by secular employers, but yeah, hundred hundred. They they gave, sent me an email saying we can't. They'd have various shows were booked. Mm. I'd, I'd already you know, hit, right. this is what I'd be hosting. I could have, I suppose, taken it further, but I, I chose not to. But we can't uh, because of your views on uh, same-sex marriage. And I wrote back and said, but I've never mentioned that issue on the show, and I wouldn't out of respect for you. And they said, yes, but we, but people know what you think. Right. So, uh, but, and all of the Catholic newspapers let me go, but that's fully understandable. If you leave the Catholic Church and it becomes public, um, and there are various people who went after me to, why, why should it matter? But they wanted to make it matter. So I can understand the Catholic Register and Catholic World Report mm. and all the others, about four or five of them, saying, well, it's, we can't really because it would be embarrassing. You know, we, so I understand that, all of my speaking engagements. That, that is understandable, but it, it was sort of, it, it was, yeah, a huge number. But you have to show contrition. You, you, I think penance has to be paid, and then you have to try and repair. And I've spent the best part of six years doing all I can um, to advocate for and campaign for and champion uh, the the gay community, particularly within the Christian context. So let me stop you for a second there, because 
<clears throat> this is a point where people often use scripture to buttress argument. So they should. So in this case, there's the scripture that they say says a man shall not lie with another man or an animal, but he shall lie with his wife. And uh, how do you how do you deal with that? Well, when uh, there are about half a dozen and that's pushing it, references to homosexuality, which is a 19th century German word. I mean, it's not a combination of uh, Greek and Latin, actually. But I mean, it, it's uh, the concept we have of loving, committed relationships. This is not really what is addressed in Scripture, but there are about five or six references to it. There's no reference to lesbianism anywhere in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Jesus never mentions the issue. When it is mentioned in Leviticus or wherever, uh, the list of prohibitions, it's very interesting because if you actually want to use those as, as your litmus test for, for contemporary life, mm. there's all sorts of things you better start to, to <laughs> like, you know, selling your daughter into slavery. And, and the, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah story, uh, Ezekiel says the sin of Sodom is haughtiness, materialism, uh, lack of generosity to the stranger. It's quite clearly not about morality in that bit because Lot offers his, his, his virgin daughters to the mob, for goodness sake. And so it, it's, it wasn't thought to be referring to same-sex relationships. When Paul, uh, and Paul must not be discounted, you can't do that, Paul is vital. But when Paul talks about it, he's talking about straight men using boys for sex. He's talking about pagan initiation rituals. That's what he's condemning. He's not talking about loving relationships between two men or two women. So here's the thing that I encounter uh, next week. I'm going to be leading a, a Torah study uh, group at, at one of our local synagogues. So we take what we want. We make what we want of Scripture. Now, there are, people say, well, there are literalists and there are those who see allegory and then there are those who just... I think it's fairy tales but how are we to know what is the right discernment mm -hmm. about scriptures well i believe you can take scripture literally or you can take it seriously but you can't do both because it's quite clearly a combination of factual account anyone who says fairy tales it's rather anti-intellectual all due respect because we know some things are absolutely true there's mm. historical record but it's a combination of factual account metaphor poetry, legend. The creation myth is mm. almost certainly written during the Babylonian exile, and it's in reaction to, to Babylonian creation myths, which were deeply misogynistic. If people really read it, there are two versions of creation. Um, but how do, it's not that we pick and choose. It's, as, as a Christian, read it through the prism of, of love and the values of the Gospels. And what people tend to do on the conservative, literalist wing of, of religion, I can't speak with authority on Judaism, is that they do pick and choose. Um, they accuse others of not living by scripture, but in fact, that's the last thing they do. And they can be incredibly aggressive. I mean, just recently, there was another attack on me by, in this case, it was the Catholic right. I've had the evangelical right as well. And they're, they're horribly unpleasant and abusive and, and all the things that Jesus said not to do, they, they, they indulge in. So I think it's an ongoing conversation that we have with God and we have to ask questions. I know with me, you mentioned the change. When I stopped giving answers and, 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 and asking questions, when I stopped speaking and, and started listening, my faith deepened. And once I knew I had to change, there were so many gay men in particular, gay Christian men, who had influenced me. And they were so inspiring. I realized I couldn't hold to my position. What were they telling you? Well, they were showing me, really, by their love. 
and uh, particularly in the UK, people like Richard Coles and Mark Oakley and Dermot McCulloch, brilliant, wonderful people who, who were just so loving and so rooted in, in, in their faith. And I saw so much, frankly, so much more Christian love there than I did in the, the areas and circles I, I was moving in. And I, I was... I treated the Roman Catholic Church, I hope, with respect, and there has to be integrity. If you question teaching on, on a central issue, then you're questioning teaching. And if you question that teaching, and this is not infallible, infallible and, and the catechism doesn't have to be relied on, then, then well, there's, there's something that, at the end of that. All right, so <clears throat> one of the things I always wonder with institutional religion is how much does the institution bend towards you, and how much do you have to bend towards the the institution? Well, it's a very broad question. When it comes to the Roman Catholic Church, the reality, I would suggest, is the vast majority of Roman Catholics don't live by all of its teachings. Uh, I, I haven't... But asked, should the church then stop trying to impose no, those teachings? No, if they think those teachings are absolutely true, then they have to hold to them. And uh, But then they have an empty vessel, because well, you have people showing up for Mass who, who have... A premarital sex and use contraceptives. Use contraceptives and, yeah. are gay. I mean, all these different things are going. Well, that's on. the price they have to pay. But what you have now is this this denial and this duality. Where the Catholic Church teaches that contraception is a terrible sin, uh, that homosexuality is disordered, uh, premarital sex is not allowed. Uh, whereas most Catholics in this country, in Canada, is about forty odd percent Catholic. It's the largest religion in Canada. They, they seem to vote not according to their religion, but according to their, 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 their secular views, their class, their background, whatever, their ethnicity. They, all the research shows that their views on, on homosexuality, on or equal marriage, I should say, and, and contraception are the same as non-Catholics. Quebec, almost, right. almost post-Catholic now, but is the, is the most progressive province on these issues. Well, I would argue it is a post-Catholic society. It is, and, and many Catholics are, they're there because they're, parents were there well, or their course. grandparents and but, but so the anglican church does it have more flexibility well, you know what what makes that different in the same question which is how much do you have to bend towards high anglican and how much does high anglican have to bend towards you well i wouldn't say high or low i mean that, that's not the issue for me but the anglican church accepted contraception in 1930 and a church does listen to people and it listens to the world it doesn't mean it has to change because of the world i mean to change because the, the fascist government in power uh, would be a terrible sin but to, to change through understanding i i believe in in scripture i believe in tradition i believe in experience i believe in personal view all these things combine and a, a, a breadth of a vision and the ability to to have various views within an institution are vitally important and if you don't do that what's happened in the roman catholic church is that the teaching is one thing and the practice is another. So it leads to denial and, at worst, hypocrisy. It leads to, within the church itself, almost certainly the majority of Roman Catholic clergy being gay men, and a lot of them not being celibate. So Sam Harris, <clears throat> people like that, would say all religion finds itself with that contradiction. Well, that's fatuous. So I would imagine what he's really talking about is orthodox versions of religions find themselves sometimes or often in contradiction to human nature. I wouldn't say orthodox. I would say conservative and literalist. Why not orthodox? Because orthodoxy implies, a, um, I think, a, a strong belief, a committed belief. And I regard myself as being orthodox. 
the creed. I, I, I believe Jesus was the Son of God. I believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection. I, I, I believe that by a personal relationship with Jesus, we, we, there is salvation. I believe in his teachings, which are incredibly difficult, turning the other cheek. That doesn't mean forgiving one of the kids when they lose their temper with you. That's easy, really. Mm. That means forgiving someone who's, who's tried to kill you or done the most horrible thing to you. Mm. I mean, you, you know the New the Gospels as well as I do. Um, to forgive that many times, to, to, to carry. The, some of the sayings, if you're tapped on the side of the leg, this is what it's about. If a Roman soldier who's occupying your country, I mean, they, they weren't Nazis, the Romans. It was just, you do what you're told and pay your taxes, it's fine, we're in charge. If a Roman soldier taps you on the side of, of your leg with, his, with the, the, the flat of his, of his sword, you have to carry his bag a certain distance. But you know what? Carry it twice as far. Carry it twice as far. Mm. The humiliation that is within that that command sell everything materialism is, is wrong it's bad and all these attempts to get around it I and mean, prosperity preaching is such heresy it's such a denial of what jesus said i i stand with the rejected and the poor and the marginalized i, I i'm calling for a revolution of love the, the, so how do we lose our way i watch you on social media and I wonder if you're doing your penance because you endure enormous amounts of abuse from people who claim themselves to be righteous. Mm. Uh, you use irony, you use some sarcasm, you bit. use some humor, <laughs> you use some intellect, but you seem to need to, to respond to them uh, in a way that says, I will carry your bag twice as far. It's very kind of you. Look, look you probably see more than I. I mean, a lot of them I block mm. and oh, I just, I don't bother with. But I try to use humor. I, I'm, I like to think, I, I, I don't think I'm ever angry uh, or show anger and never abuse. And yeah, some of the things, a couple of, over Christmas of all times, there was a, a very heated attack. And um, with Twitter, it's strange because you tweet something, and oh, I'm not sure I should have done that. <laughs> and then you get about 12 responses, no one says anything. And then you, you tweet something which you think is really quite bland, and, and it goes crazy. <laughs> And this was, um, uh, someone had said what they would do if they were Pope. So I responded. I, I didn't initiate it. If I were Pope, and I said, well, if I were Pope, I would ordain ma married men and women. I would sell the church's wealth. I would democratize the church. And I would transform its teachings on sexuality. And that led to, well, there's one man in particular who has quite a number of followers. He went after me and the most appalling attacks, you know, I'm mean, a child abuser and, yeah. and, and all this sort of stuff. But um, I responded to a lot and I tried to be, it's rare that you can actually discuss with someone like that. When they're being so abusive, they're not going to say, oh, oh yeah, I see what you mean. Okay, I'll think again. Occasionally they do, but you know, you're, you're not responding for those people generally. You're responding to the, the thousands who are reading it. And there were the one fellow, this, there have been various reasons put forward for my change, and one of them is that the, the claim that either I or one of our four children are gay. They're all boringly straight, as am I. I mean, that's not, I, mean, I couldn't give a fuck if they yeah. were, but I mean, they're, they're not. But one guy wrote, you only change because your daughter's a lesbian. So I retweeted it, and I said, golly, better, I, we have two, better tell them, and their boyfriend and husband. And I said, but we have four. They're all straight. If they were gay, I'd be delighted. If they were hateful, I'd be deeply ashamed. Yeah, I saw that. And then what happened after that is Stephen Fry, God bless him, who's also been a big influence on me, he then said, Michael, you're brilliant, which coming from him because he genuinely is brilliant. But then you get all these people saying, hey, Rev, what you had, 
chill, man. You're wonderful. You're well, I love you. I love you. And you try to respond to them. I spent days on Twitter trying to respond to nice people. And it was, but you know, I, I do think it's actually witness uh, the way you respond to people, the, the way you deal with that sort of hatred. It is so far from Christ. Now, there are many people who disagreed with me who, who are loving good people who would never be like that. But you used to, uh, I felt, it, it, what fed you was the battle, you know, in younger days. I think that's true. And this might be another version of the battle. Uh, it, it's, it, but, it, but is there a weaponization of, of what makes you special and interesting as a person? And... Is it necessary to to enter the fray? I don't think I'm special in any way, but what you said is, is perceptive. I think I was interested in the battle and the ideology in the past. I'm not interested in ideology anymore. Am I interested in the battle? Probably true, actually. But it's not... I mean, I'm an ordained deacon now in the Anglican Church, mm. and a couple of days a week I'm just dealing with people often who are going through difficult times. Um, there, there are a lot of people who, who are suffering, and uh, without going into detail, you, tr you try to help those people and be with those people, and that does inform you, and it changes you a great deal. Um, and I don't particularly enjoy... I mean, th those Twitter things are so rare. You know, most of the time, there's very few responses to what... It, and, and, it, and it's only Twitter... Uh, but it, it's just another uh, way. I, I don't think I would say to any, and it, it actually, it, sometimes it frustrates me. I, there was a, someone I was with the other day, a priest, he said, oh, I, I don't know if I like uh, social media. Mm. And I said, well, it's a bit like saying in medieval Europe, I don't know about this printing press. <laughs> um, you, it's here. We've got to use it, and we can use it. And the people have inspired me. I mentioned earlier some people... Um, Richard Coles, for example, a wonderful man, you can use social media for good. And too often, especially Twitter, there is anger and hatred on it. But you don't, it doesn't, it doesn't, social media it can be used for all sorts of things. The fact that too many people who are hysterical, both right and left, try to exploit it, doesn't mean that we should avoid it. One of the things I've noticed, though, is that there is such a yearning by people to have a voice that they don't feel heard. And this is a way they can do it without anyone's permission on a scale they never thought they could get. And the other thing I wanted, I find interesting is we spoke a bit about the sort of theology of prosperity before. We just mm -hmm. touched on it for a moment. And I, I spent a weekend a few years back <clears throat> in Houston at Joel Osteen's church oh. in the former Houston Rockets arena, which over the course of a weekend, 35,000 people mm -hmm. came uh, to, f I think, five different uh, services, including one that was uh, purely in Spanish, and it was a Latino service. And I was there to interview uh, Osteen and his wife and, uh, you know, to, to do a one-hour piece on him uh, for Vision TV. And as I was going down there, I said to people, oh, I'm going to uh, uh, one of the megachurches, one of the evangelical megachurches. And everyone, I think said, well, those people are crazy. They're just a bunch of lunatics or idiots. And I went there and I looked around at a service with 7,000 plus people in it. And people were happy. They were, mm -hmm. in some cases, euphoric. 
I went down into the catacombs where there were different services going on for slice demographic slices of youth, toddlers, tweens, you know, teenagers. Um, and I thought, I always try to think, what is, what are people actually yearning for? Whether or not they're on target is a whole different issue. In, in, in Judaism, sin is not the, the evil act. It is a missed target. Your, it your is in aim Christianity is too. Right. So Greek term for, miss, for, for archery, for missing right. the target. Yeah. Exactly. So your aim is off. And it's not just that you're a bad person. Your aim is off. So there I was. And I, I don't even know what, what I thought of that at that moment. But I did realize that what they were getting, mm. besides this idea that, you know, if you believe strongly enough, you'll, you'll be prosperous, which I found I, I really couldn't circle that square it was it's, it's too ridiculous deeply heretical within christianity actually. right so uh, and you know five thousand dollar suits and the whole nine yards uh, but i did feel that these people got community that they got to belong to something that people cared about them unconditionally yes. loved them well i don't know about, about that. well that's how they felt i think that's how they felt I, look we mustn't generalize it. There, the evangelical church um, is there. Are all sorts of people in it, and in 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 Greater Toronto, from Toronto to Hamilton, I know of some, uh, relatively speaking, mega churches that are evangelical, and I th- the people in it are, b- are beautiful, and their theology is is very good. I wouldn't agree with all of it, but I would agree with most of it. And I, I, I'm I'm an Anglican. There are there are Anglicans who can be incredibly smug about this, and they look at, you know, they they have churches with maybe 70 or 80 people if they're lucky and and they, they will mock some big evangelical church well just stop it i mean that really irritates me when that, that happens mm. some of these churches and i know one or two of them well they are doing wonderful work the one you went to um is there are many more severe than that i don't understand the appeal uh, his theology seems to me in, in many ways not even rooted in christianity but they're not as politically severe as other mega churches. There are other mega churches in the United States that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one of, another one of the reasons that pushed me out of conservative Christianity, um, and that was uh, when and it, all these things happened pretty much simultaneously. World Vision in the USA issued a statement that if you were in a same-sex relationship, you were welcome to work for World Vision, which is a major organization. They do a lot of good. And this quite clearly was a response to the fact that there were a number of people in same-sex relationships working for World Vision, doing wonderful work, doing God's work. And within hours, not days, within hours, most of the major evangelical organizations, and not just the Franklin Grahams of the world, others who are considered far more moderate, said, well, if you, if you have this policy statement, we have to reconsider partnering with you. Now, that, 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 that shorthand or esoteric talk for we won't give you money anymore mm. which actually means kids in africa will die so if you acknowledge there are people there are gay men and women loving committed in relationships working for you if you acknowledge that then kids in the third world are going to die what are you going to do okay. that is when you realize this is a million miles from the teachings of Jesus. They're the sort of churches that I have more problems with. But yes, people are seeking community. They are seeking certainty. Uh, the world is very complex. You don't only see this in Christianity. Look, uh, what we call the word woke. I'm, I'm writing something on this right now in defense of woke. There are people who are 
let's say, woke, politically correct, all that sort of thing, who can be in- incredibly censorious and intolerant. And if you say one word that's wrong, it's like the former East Germany, you get, even get the order of priorities <laughs> wrong. I, there's a guy who was, I, I heard interviewed once, and he said um, he, the things he liked, and it, the party, chocolate, and something else, and no, this should have been before this. And, and, and yes, and they're, and they're incredibly annoying people. But that then enables all sorts of people not going to give names here to say, ah, you see, everything they stand for, everything they believe, it's all wrong. Well, it's not. Actually, the idea of being woke, of, of, of using empathy, of acknowledging, uh, acknowledging there is such a thing as privilege, it's not linear, but it is genuine. There is privilege there. Of looking at oneself and, 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 and questioning things, these are all tremendous. And so we have to... Don't generalise. Know the world is complex. Uh, there's really black and white in answer to, to anything. But if you do want very simple, easy answers that seem to be panaceas, this is it, I have everything now. What conservative Christianity, and I, I would suspect conservative religion offers, yeah. is that. And whether it's evangelical or Roman Catholic, and I'm sure when it comes to Islam and Judaism, everything here, one, two, three, four, I want to know the answer, there's the answer. Well, they, <coughs> in Orthodox Judaism and uh, what you call conservative Judaism, and I'd say ultra-Orthodox Judaism, yeah. uh, it, it's really not much different than being in a cloistered Mennonite community where you're doing a horse and buggy. You, you really want to make sure that only your way of life is being preserved. And there is, I'm always curious as to what is it about us as people. I mean, I think of things like Torah, where the Exodus, you'd think this is great, we're free, we're, we're free, it's been 400 years, and... Yul Brenner's on the other side of the water. We're doing great over here. It's a bumbling mess of vanity, greed, fear, anxiety. Reality. So religion is not an architecture of perfection for people. It is uh, an attempt at a strategic game plan for how to get through one's life and what to be connected to while going through that life for some people. Scripture, I think, is divinely inspired, but it, it, it's not dictation. But what does that mean, divinely inspired? I think I think God's will for us is behind it. I, I think that so creation- is God. So give me your. When I say God, you say God is. Well, I think God is love, but you need to personify God beyond gender. I do believe in creation. I don't know exactly how it happened. Uh, I don't really care particularly. I don't think I don't believe in in the literal creation myth. No, it is what it is—a creation myth. But I believe there is a purpose in our lives. But is a is God a transactional being that is aware of me as a living being? Yes. You see, now I sometimes find myself having trouble with this because I think we're so earth centric, we're so human centric. You know, twenty people died in Australian fires. One billion animals died in Australian fires. We don't talk about them. We talk oh, about twenty people. I who think we died. do. I think we talk about it a great deal, actually. No, I don't think we do. I think we have occasional cute pictures of koala bears, and we carry on and don't understand that we've just killed everything that will feed these animals for the next fifteen years. So, for me, I actually think that we. For me, there is no. When I think of God, I I can't imagine. First of all, in Judaism, it's unknowable. I mean, it's just not a discussion. You can't personify God that way. And if you do, for me, I'm on the wrong track. If I'm thinking there's a God who thinks, how's Ralph today? It's not that. No, he it, doesn't. I actually, I've spoken to him. He doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care. That's right. <laughs> I checked. It's his, he's, he's, the kids he's worried about. Yeah. But Ralph, no, not so much. Lost cause. <laughs> no, but if, for me, it's this idea that 
for me, God is energy. God is is the the pulse of creation that is relentless in the universe that never stops okay and that. that all all we can be is available to that so then the question in, in in the faith i come from is not where is god it's where am i well i think both of those questions though are absolutely valid but if you ask where am i then your availability to what's already all around you at all times is the answer it's not if I just behave this way, if I don't behave or do behave this way, I will be... It's not a guy in a throne with a beard and a naughty oh, and but, nice but Ralph, list, Ralph, right? I mean, you're setting up an artificial, I mean, a straw god, if you like. But that, that's the one that many people have decided but I can't is speak for many people. done. Right? I can only speak for, for my faith and the, the faith of most of the people I, I, who are my friends, who I know. And, and it's not as polarized as that, and nor is it as pantheistic as that. It is, and as Christians, we, we, we see Jesus as... as I mean, the, the Trinity is very difficult, and I'm not sure I'll ever fully understand it, and that's after three and a half years of an MTIV. Uh, but we, we use the, the model of Jesus, Jesus being the Son of God and God. But it's not, first of all, it's not being, uh, uh, getting, I don't know, detention or, 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 or the cane or whatever it is, if you've been naughty. It's not a, and it's not obedience and relationship with God out of fear. It's a loving relationship, and it's trying to please and it's forgiveness, and, and it's love, and it's understanding. But the whole idea of being, I mean, God is beyond gender, some bearded figure saying, no, nope, sorry, you're not coming in because of that. No, and that, that's, a, that's far away from Right, what, but we do get a lot of literature with he. Well, gender is difficult because, as you know, within the original languages, he is used, but in, in Greek and Hebrew, and there are only two genders in Hebrew anyway, as far as I remember. But uh, I would not attribute gender to God. I mean, Jesus refers to Father, but th this is first century Aramaic. So. Right, but we're still using it. We're still imagining well, in, it. It's actually it's interesting because, you know what, in the Anglican Church generally, that's not the case. Uh, we try to avoid using He for God whenever possible. Sometimes it, it can become so difficult. Right. Um, and I, don't th I really don't think it matters that much. But there is a major attempt in, the, in more progressive Christian churches to not use uh, masculine pronouns when... when uh, Define that word, faith, because you, you've used it often in this conversation, your faith. When you say your faith, what do you mean? Trust and love and uh, belief in what is ultimately the unknowable. Uh, but love has to be at the very center of it. But I, I, I love my parents. But I have faith in them. They're very different. Um, but faith, that I don't want to use other people's phrases here but there has to be a leap uh, anyone who says I, I was on the I wrote about this in McLean's when I first wore my collar and someone said come prove God prove God to me then prove God to me then and I said no it's too important I'm not going to do that I could make a few arguments for you but I'm not going to do it you don't really want to know you just you want to have fun I'm not going to do that but you can't prove something that's why faith it, 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 we use the word faith because if if God was completely knowable then everybody will believe out of self-interest. You need to, ha to have some sort of faith. So then how, you can, how can you be sure? So the other elements, the virgin birth, the Jesus as son of God, how, what, what allows you to believe that those things are real things? Well, they're, they're, they're different things. I mean, the virgin birth uh, has never been something that I'm complete. I do believe Jesus has siblings, so ever-virgin, which is different from the virgin birth, but ever-virgin, which is the belief of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, 
What do, what is ever virgin? It means that, that, that there were no kids. It was. <laughs> it means that she, Mary, has a different place within the Roman Catholic Church and Anglo-Catholic feeling and teaching than it does in other forms of Christianity. So Mary was ever virgin. Uh, never knew Joseph in that way intimately, and there were no other children. Now I believe that Scripture does strongly indicate that James was a brother, mm. uh, and so others would say no it means cousin. It, it, it's, it's too convenient. No, I think they were siblings. Um, virgin birth. Uh, does it, does what, it mean? What's it, it supposed to bring you? I mean, does it mean young girl? I'm not even going to. I don't know. It couldn't. It could be young girl. It could be virgin. Son of God, though. Yes, I do believe. Uh, I, I do believe that in Jesus we, we have the representation of God on earth. Why? Why do I believe that? Yeah. Oh, I think the evidence is very strong within the scripture. I think enough people are willing to, to die only for that belief, nothing else. Those who knew him, who were there next to him, could smell him, could see him, touch him. Uh, they went to their deaths willingly for no other reason than that. They could have, well, they, if they were wrong, they were really dumb. It could, it, could have been, it could have been mass hysteria, but that's really rather absurd. But, it, but it's not even that evidential approach. It is through prayer and my life I've come to believe something. And I'm, I'm not going to try and convince anyone else of that. I know, and I, I respect that. I just, I guess because I don't come from that, that tradition, it's quite easy for me to just go, no, that's not, that's not. Thank God. Thank God it is, Ralph. Thank God it's easy for you. And most of the people, well, most, yeah, a lot of the people I know and love most have the same belief. I have, I have Christians. That doesn't mean I don't believe that there is a, a truly inspired prophetic message, but I also believe that of, of uh, Muhammad. You know, I, I also believe Well, I don't want to get into of, that, but I would differ. I, I think there is... I believe that of many of the major prophets, that they have inspired a group of people to see more than just the menial material piece of their life mm. and to understand that there is something much bigger going on. I would respond that even if you think of Jesus as, as merely a prophet, uh, that the life was unique. I don't... Yes. You know, I, with all due I think it's too glib to say, and these others. Well, people say that, and if you actually look into the lives of those other people, you realize it wasn't quite the same, actually. I think that there are other, other aspects of the life of Jesus that, that give you a very different story. But in the end, it, it's not about that. It's whether you do believe and have faith and we've got it wrong often we're trying to convert trying to convince people i would want people to join me and agree with me um but i would defend most of all anyone's right to say no and do i believe someone who is really loving and and lives out e even uh implicitly the the teachings of jesus are they close to god yes absolutely my parents weren't believers mm. i think they were loving good people and i'll see them again miracles uh-huh Water from rocks, visions, all these pieces. Are, are, are we to take them as allegorical or literal? Don't know. Some of them, I think, but not all of them. I do believe in... Uh, when my, my dad had a, a very serious stroke and we didn't think he would pull through, and um, I won't go into the whole story, but it, it was uh, a niece, uh, my niece who was quite profoundly autistic, who who jumped on the bed when he was in hospital and cuddled him. And and and, um, and this seemed to initiate a recovery. It was quite extraordinary. She didn't judge the situation. It was purely unconditional love. We were all sort of sitting there, you know, trying to be that, that serious look when you're really being sympathetic. I'm so sorry. That, I mean, he, he, he couldn't 
we don't know what was going on in him. There was very little consciousness. But she just jumped on the bed and cuddled him, and you know, and 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 he began to cry. And then and this recovery began. And we, the doctor said, "Wow, it's a miracle." Mm. And he didn't mean a miracle as we would say in the scripture, um, but something which was incredibly unusual. But yes, I, I do believe miracles occurred. Does that mean I believe that everything said to be a miracle was? No, and I'm deeply embarrassed by Jesus in the toast. And uh, <laughs> and there's a stain coming down from the wall in the shape of the Virgin Mary. Well, good for you. But right. no, I don't think that is a miracle. But you can see how we as human beings take things that are to be special in some cases and find some way to make them less so. So I'll give you an example. Joe- T- Tottenham got to the final of the Champions League last year. Was that a miracle? <laughs> Let me have it. <laughs> so Joel Osteen is, is sitting with me, and uh, we're doing the interview, and I'm asking him how God works in his life. And he says, you know, I was, I was looking for, I, me and the family, we were going to the mall, yeah. we looking for... Uh, a parking spot? Yeah. Oh, not that one again. A- a- every evangelical preacher seems to use that one. Where is this parking lot? Right. So he goes, I look and I see, the, and there it is. And I say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And I said, well, the Jewish version is a bit different. You're late. You get to the mall. You got to get in there. You got to see this guy. You told him you were going to be there half an hour ago, and you're the well, God. I'll do it. I'll go kosher. I'll go to sin. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Just I need a spot. And then he looks down and he sees the spot and he goes, "It's okay. I found one." <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of our take. On the but really, you got to realize that, that Christianity is is very Jewish, and and it's one of the yes, it is one of the tragedies of Christianity is, and it happened very early, trying to expunge the Jewishness and yeah. reject it. But I mean, Jesus. Is, is constantly using irony and I think sarcasm and and, and oh, come on and, and you know G- Jesus is a Jewish boy right and the whole when when I was being attacked a couple of weeks ago on Twitter on, on the fringes of that right-wing Catholicism is, is anti-semitism which is very far away from the Vatican I mean Pope Francis is the opposite of that and 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 Pope John Paul was as well but so they refer to a crypto Jew or is your name Corin or is there a letter missing and um, sometimes I respond. I wouldn't tolerate many of these people. I mean, they're not worth my time. But I would respond and say, yeah, actually, half Jewish, um, just like uh, Jesus, really. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, Mary and Peter and Paul and Matthew, Mark, almost certainly Luke, John, and all the rest of them, you know, all the, all the guys in the gang, yeah, Jewish. But they, they, they have created this, I mean, the, the most appalling example was during the Second World War when there was the National Lutheran Church, uh, yes. which said that Paul was this r- rabbi who tried to pervert the teachings of the Aryan Jesus. That was horribly comical in its way. But there has been a subconscious effort to expunge the Jewishness of Jesus. There's Wasn't a, there a line in Anglican uh, uh, prayer books? Well, that was that was removed quite recently, actually. That yeah, was, what that, was that line? That was about converting people like you. Yeah. Yeah. That you you prayed every Sunday for the conversion of Jews. No, well, I never. I not never, you. But no, but I ne- I never heard that in a service. Apparently, it was there. I read it in an Anglican prayer book a while back. Well, if it's in, it, may, it may have been in the Book of Common Prayer. I never heard it used. I've got to say, I never heard it used. I mean, there are very much in Christianity uh, constant provo- provocations towards anti-Semitism in the Catholic Church, and that line certainly, if you said it every Sunday, would be something where you think until they're saved, uh, and until all are saved. Uh, they they cannot have that that life. Well, that was there before Vatican II, in fact. And my wife's Catholic, and I've spoken to her. She was very young before Vatican II, but I've spoken to her dad about it too. And, and Catholics, I don't, they don't actually remember that, but it was there. 
but again, but we we're, ha- we're, the, we're the ones who killed Christ. I well, mean, this is, I, you know, what happened in Germany was not just German. It was a, a, a pan-Christian idea of what a Jew is and where they fit in the world. Yeah, and I, I, anti-Semitism I, is on the rise again. That's true, but also some of the strongest resistance came, for example, in Italy. Uh, where anti-Semitism simply wasn't part of the psyche. It, it wasn't an issue. Yeah, there is no doubt that within Christianity... Uh, look, Christi- the First World War, four years, yet the Turks were involved and, and there were other parts, but, but it, it was largely a European conflict. Christendom, if you like. But yes, the colonies were involved, Africa and, and, and huge Indian army, but Christendom slaughtered itself for hmm. four years. Christianity, so much has been done in the name of Christianity that's appalling, and anti-Semitism is still an open wound. However, I would say that since the Second World War, there's been a massive attempt by the Roman Catholic Church, most churches, to deal with it. The problem today, um, I mean, anti-Semitism outside of, of, of Christianity is another issue, but within Christianity, you have uh, Christian Zionism within evangelicalism, yes, which is more about Jews returning to Israel, uh, Armageddon. The tribulations must begin, but only once we're all back. Yeah, and I mean, it's an eschatology which is, is, is deeply offensive. And then you have a strong, on, on the left of the Christian church, an increasing sympathy, understandably so, with Palestinians, but often fails to, to address the fact that if Christians had acted more as genuine Christians, Israel might not even be there because right. a lot of people would have said, you know what, I'm fine living in Paris, uh, Vienna, uh, uh, right. Berlin, wherever I am. But when you're persecuted, so as much as I will say, yes, Israel is not always acting justly, certainly, and there has to be a just solution, I'm not optimistic, let's also acknowledge the reason why there is a Jewish state because Jewish people in the diaspora were treated so badly. Is religion too corruptible to be able to help us really become the best we can be because everyone who I know who is really not in favor of religious life really points to this idea that religion has caused so much trouble. And I try to say, look, if it wasn't that it would be which, which are you a Tottenham fan or are you a Liverpool fan that there's always something that you want to attach yourself to and always something that you're willing to hurt other people about. And this just happens to be one of them or am I right or is this really just constantly going to be used badly by people? Oh, I th- I'm afraid... I'm being cynical, but I'm, no, I'm asking. No, humanity... I mean, I've thought about this at some length. I mean, certainly wars of religion... There are a lot of cliches, you know, religion causes more wars than anything else. And really the case, actually. And you think of the... Of the um, I mean, Nazi Germany was not religion-based. And so, communist Russia. And China and, and, and certain Scientism has killed many people. Of course it has. I think people, humanity has this tendency to be very self-destructive and very hateful of others. And uh, so a friend, I haven't seen him in years, but a friend wrote a book called God Hates Religion. And I wouldn't say religion, I would say it was relationship and, and relationship with God. And I'd like to think if there was a genuine relationship with God and love for, for God and love for God's creation, people then it will be very difficult to hate. Uh, but there were, I, mean, I, I used to work in Northern Ireland, and the idea that that was about Protestant and Roman Catholic, eh, I'm sorry, that went a long time ago. It was two tribes. Two, Class warfare, too. Well, working, what is interesting is when people made money and they moved out of, of uh, working-class areas, whether it was the Falls Road or the Shankill, suddenly things mattered less. They didn't care so much. 
Uh, but if you have working class people, Protestants, one side, Catholic, the other, the churches, maybe long ago it was an issue, but for many years now, both churches, or Presbyterian and or let's say Protestant and Catholic, have been working for peace and trying to achieve something. So it's really post-religion. Uh, Israel-Palestine, yes, religion's a factor, but as, as I mentioned earlier, if, if Jewish people in the diaspora had been treated properly, I don't think there would have been such a lust to return, often for safety. Yeah, that's a tricky one, because every year you say next year in Jerusalem. Um, Do you really mean it? Well, here's the thing. I always believe that there's an enormous amount of strength in being, for all peoples, diasporic that you graft yourself onto different cultures and civilizations, and by doing that, you, you, you reap some very interesting and lovely things from different cultures and different mm. peoples. And it allows a sort of expansiveness to your faith and expansiveness to your experience. It's like the difference between um, the church or mosque or temple that never wants anyone who isn't one of them to come in and the one that says, everyone come in. This is a house of God, not a house of our God. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I sometimes do workshops, and one of them I was uh, dealing with, I said to, as part of what I was just talking about, that God is not Jewish. We're Jewish. It's our way of trying to understand something that's very unknowable, but obviously something's afoot, something more than just paying your next phone bill. You know, we have something going here. Uh, and there is an awe and wonder that we can reinstill. But the, it's not about a Jewish God. And... Two weeks later, in the middle of some other conversation in the same workshop, a woman puts her hand up sheepishly, and I say, yeah, what? And she says, I've been thinking about this for two weeks. <laughs> it's very upsetting to me. How could you say something like that? And I said, like what? What are you talking about? I've said a lot of things. And she said that God is not Jewish. God is Jewish. And I realized how ingrained and parochial her positioning was. And we had a really nice conversation about it. I don't know if her mind changed at all, but human beings have a, a very particular part of their lives that they need reinforced, and it seems it's harder for them to access the more universal part of their lives, that yeah. we become, we contract much more easily than we expand. That, that's very well put, and the may, I mentioned, uh, I think, when we began chatting, empathy. And if you really can feel for another person, because with many of us, why, I, can, I know with me, can react to a situation, but then start to think about it. What, and if someone attacks you, what, why are they doing that? Why is that person attacking me? Uh, it doesn't mean that you can uh, automatically love them, but you, you soften. You, you imagine the pain that's led to that uh, and feel that person's experience in their life. And, and, their, and I, haven't, I, I haven't always lived like that. I, mean, mm. I, I, I I try to now, and I hope I get it right more than I get it wrong, but in the past I have, and I, on a, an individual basis, I've been decent enough, and quite a good person, but um, I was chatting to someone the other day um, who spent many years working in homicide, and he, uh, one case, and, and you know, was kid who got in trouble with gangs and so on, and he was eventually spending time with, with, this guy, uh, with the mother trying to comfort her. Mother's working three jobs, three jobs, just to keep things together. Why, why, why wasn't that mother raising the child? Well, because there was no money, and she was working three jobs. And the kid was raised by the neighborhood and eventually went wrong. Um, 
a gun was used. No one was too badly hurt. But when this kid gets out of jail, uh, has to get a gun because knows the person will right. try and kill him. Right. Uh, my daughter worked in a, she works in theatre, but she worked in a part of London, knew someone who, uh, and this is common in the UK, you don't carry, if you don't carry a knife, you could be in real trouble. Mm. And if the cops pick you up and you're carrying a knife, you're in trouble. But if you don't carry it, what happens? I had an American friend in Atlanta, 1980, we were doing a film, just uh, where Diller, Georgia, where Deliverance was shot. And we were doing huh. a horrible Canadian film uh, <laughs> with perfectly good talent and good actors and directors and all that. Uh, and I took a day off with, a, with one of the actors from, from Georgia, Stuart. So Stuart's driving us into Atlanta, me and him. And I go, look, I'm Canadian. I don't, we're not big on guns most of the time. I, I, um, do you have a gun? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, where, where do you keep your gun? Right? And he points underneath the seat while he's driving and goes right there. And I said, what? seriously? Wow, okay, why? And he said, look, Ralph, I don't want to have a gun. But what if the other guy's got a gun? I got to have a gun. And there you have it. And it's sort of the weaponization of ideas is pretty well the same. I don't want to be ready to say, especially on social media, a horrible thing. But since no one's going to come over and punch me in the face for saying it, I'm going to say it and off we yes. go. Yes, I mean, you know, it's States, toxic. I mean, the, the whole issue of you've weaponized a culture. You, you, you've you've so misinterpreted um, some statements oh, from the late 18th century. Sense, that, yeah. uh, um, but when, when, when poverty produces this situation... Uh, which but and, there's and, different poverties. There's poverties of this, of of, of material uh, of material world. But I believe we really are, are in a situation of the poverty of the soul. Yeah, like climate crisis but, is a spiritual crisis. But Ralph, let's be careful. When you have nothing, of course, then I mean, yes, there are degrees of poverty. But when you you're growing up on, I mean, I, I I can't even though I've been here now for 32 years, I still regard. Strange way, Britain. Is, I mean, I'm British, mm. and that's not to be ungrateful to Canada, but I think culturally. But where I grew up, and I grew up in, a, in an upper working class place, it was absolutely fine. It was safe uh, in Ilford, but South Ilford. Uh, just I don't know when this is going out, but uh, just heard um, three people stabbed to death, gang fight. It was within a particular community. Uh, but if you grew up with with absolutely nothing, um, and you that is a genuine poverty. And people say, well, don't, don't say I'm privileged when I'm not. Well, yeah, I was. Does, does religion help those people? The, oh, that, you've got to define your terms there, religion. Um, if we could change the world to live according to the teachings of Jesus, it would change absolutely everything. Is Jesus a socialist? Well, it's anachronistic, I, but I would say yes. Isn't that interesting? I would say that Christianity is socialist. I, I would... It, it does reject materialism. It does believe in, in communal right. wealth. It does believe in standing with the, the most marginalized. Yeah, I would say that was socialistic. Mm. Yeah. So interesting. There's so much to explore. Uh, one more question. Mm. Now that you can put on a collar, yeah. what is it like to go out in the world with that on? I wrote a piece of McLean's about this, about wearing the collar, because uh, I... I spent two weeks in the UK wearing it some of the time there and here. And I had very interesting experience. I was terribly self-conscious at first. <laughs> and I still am a, a little bit. And then you forget you're wearing it. Yeah. And you're representing. So, you know, be careful. And, 
But in the UK, what was fascinating was um, there's, there's, there's more reverence there, even though it's a far less, in a way, a far less religious society in the north than Canada, certainly than the US. But I found a particular constituency with drunk guys in their twenties <laughs> and thirties. Oi, oi, father, you all right, mate? All right, bigger. Well, come, come for a drink with us. Come on. And I said, no, you have to find your own way. I really did say that. Uh, but this happened a few times. And I was talking to a priest friend, and he said, yeah. He said, uh, if they've been in the army or they've been in prison, mm. uh, incredible reverence for, for clergy. Because in those two institutions, but the only place you're going to find kindness and laugh is with the chaplain. Right. And uh, I was with a friend in the Groucho Club in, in uh, Soho in London. You know, not as artsy as it used to be, but and uh, I, and she wanted me to wear my collar, and we were chatting. And she said, "Did you see that girl sitting on the other side of the table?" And I said, "No." She, said, well, she was turning to a friend, and she said, "Oh God!" And then she looked at you and sort of put her hand. <laughs> up. <laughs> I get to see when I wear a keeper. Sometimes when I'm traveling. I'll, I'll just put on my keeper um, because you know I'm just being me. And I've had people walk up to me and and say and and treat me totally different kindly yeah hi rabbi can i ask you a question jewish uh, people or any anyone that's re that's really nice well i in I, I, a couple of things happened uh, on on the on the sub when the ttc a guy wanted to chat to me and we had this long conversation it was deeply moving in the end i went went past my stop just to spend more time with him but um there were a lot of it's a moment people. yeah it's a moment of of opportunity yes and we didn't talk about christianity he just he thought he could talk to me and trust me yeah. yeah and i've had a few like that and um there was the the guy who <laughs> oh i didn't finish that story the this is interesting the guy who's who came up to me said come on uh you know prove oh yeah and it was a pain in the tuckus and i and i <laughs> um and i wouldn't and you know he walked away in the end and there was a young woman in a hijab sitting there and she caught my eye and she winked at me it's a lovely moment of solidarity yeah, between yeah. the faiths, you know. <laughs> well, you know, often if uh, people say prove God, I say prove love. Yeah. Because we spend a lot of time looking for it, holding on to it, losing it, wanting it back again. But you can't put it in a bottle and you can't sell mm. it, even though marketers would. I want to know what love, love is, Ralph. I want you to show me. I want to know what <laughs> love is. Yeah, no, no, not that guy. Uh, listen, I thank you for doing this with me. I Pleasure. really appreciate it. Michael, what's, uh, you, you're always writing a book. Well, uh, not What's your late? What's your latest book? The, the most recent one. It came out in November, I think. Was it's called Reclaiming Faith, right? And it's a compilation of five years of articles and essays and columns, all about faith from Star and the Globe and Maclean's and Morris and other people. And um, I think that's the book I'm most proud of. Hmm. How many books have you written? Well, how or many published? Good, how many good books? Not many. <laughs> how many books have I published? I think it's about seventeen now. Wow. But about four of them are compilations. Um, but yeah, a few. Um, you know, and uh, some of them I'm still very proud of. Uh, one or two, no, three or four, not so much. Right. But um, the last one, Amazon.ca, go there because I'm not. I mean, bookstores. It, um, I'm not. It's a smaller press. It can be hard to get. But you know, that's a book I'm really proud of. Mm. Very proud well, of it's that. a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Continue on, oh Reverend One. <laughs> Michael Corrin on Not That Kind of Rabbi I'm Ralph ben Murgy. if you want to get in touch with us we've got a Facebook page for Not That Kind of Rabbi you can check it out give us some input who you'd like to uh, hear me speaking with uh, and uh, I guess we'll be seeing more of me with videos coming but 
It's all a question of webcams, I've been told. It's all about the webcam. So <laughs> we're waiting for the webcam. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with me on Twitter, at Ralph Ben Murgy is the easiest way. My Gmail is ralphbenmurgy at gmail.com. You take care of each other, and uh, we'll see you soon, I hope. This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.